Let's pray as we turn to God's word. Let's pray that God would help us um, and, and teach us and encourage us. Father, thank you for this word. Thank you we have it open in front of us. Thank you that your same spirit who breathed this word is the spirit who now helps us. So Holy Spirit, would you open our eyes, open our minds, open our hearts that we might see Jesus. We ask it in his name. Amen. I, uh, a little while ago, I, we used to sing a song in church, um, which was great. Not this church, many years ago, back in the kind of 90s. <laughs> and uh, the song was, it was a great song, and it had a bridge. And the words of the bridge um, went like this. Uh, oh, I feel like dancing. Um, it's craziness, I know. But when the world has seen the truth, they will dance for joy like we're dancing now. Okay, that was the bridge. Now, I'm sure this wasn't true in every church, but the church that I happened to be in when we sang that, uh, the, the bridge was kind of like, they will dance for joy like we're dancing now. And I remember looking around and thinking, we're setting the bar fairly low. <laughs> I, I'm just not sure that if someone popped in now that they would be blown away by the level of joy that's happening in this church right now. Now, that's no criticism. Uh, particularly, well, it is a little bit. But anyway, you know, sometimes I wonder whether we aren't very good at celebrating. We aren't very good at rejoicing in all that God has done for us in Jesus. And so this afternoon, I really want to try and set a tone of celebration and joy. Now, I recognize that for some of us, that will be a tone that's very discordant with where we find ourselves in our lives. But I want to encourage you to let God, in his word, show you stuff that will cause you to celebrate. I want us to celebrate Jesus this afternoon. And as we run up to Christmas, I want to celebrate all that he is and all that he has done. So that's, that's what we're heading for. Because when we read the story we're going to read today, uh, the story of David and Goliath, and we started to think last week about this King David. If you were in Israel all those years ago, hundreds of years before Jesus, and you'd heard the name David, it would have made you smile. It might even have made you, it might even have made you dance. Because in the next chapter to this one, they dance as they sing about David. And they have tambourines and they sing about the greatness of their king because of what he does in this chapter. Now, don't worry, I, I understand. Don't panic. Okay, we're not going to all dance. Although, <laughs> anyway, let's, uh, let's get on with the, the text. Because we're going to see today that we have a king who fights our battles. We have a king who shatters our burdens. We have a king who defeats our enemies. We have a king who is worthy of worship. That is Christmas. That is why the Christmas carols are right. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, come, let us adore him. Christ, the Lord. That's what I'd love us to experience and to know this afternoon as we study God's word. Now what we're going to do is we're going to take three bits of the Bible and we're going to try and th- three bits and we're going to try and tie them together to show you how they all link together. Um, let me t- tell you what, where we're heading. 
Um, this is where we're heading. First, we're going to look at a famous story, then a famous prophecy, and then a famous face. The famous story is the story of David and Goliath. You may know it. It's a story of a little boy who kills a giant. It's a famous story. We're going to start there. Then we're going to move to a famous prophecy. A prophecy that if you've ever been to a carol service, you will have heard. The prophecy that says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We're going to tie this to that. And then we're going to tie it to a famous face, which I'll tell you about in a minute. So let's start with 1 Samuel 17. And let's ask that God, as we weave these stories together, that God would draw out of our hearts celebration and worship. So let's uh, remember, last week we were in 1 Samuel 16, and last week we saw that David has been anointed as king. He's been chosen by God to be the king over Israel. But he's not yet taken his place as king. So he's been anointed, but he's not yet ruling as king. In fact, he hasn't yet done anything. All he's done is been anointed. The king is still Saul. But there is a problem. So let's read 1 Samuel 17, 1 to 11. And let's uh, see the problem. What's going on in Israel at the time? Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Soko and Azkar. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. You see it? You've got to picture it. Two hills, valley in the middle, mountain armies on both sides. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man, let him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed. And terrified. So, picture the scene. Two hills, army here, army Philistines, army the Israelites. And for Israel, they have this massive problem. A a massive burden, a huge burden, literally. A huge man who sort of fills their horizon. And it's as if Goliath, this huge man, sort of casts his shadow over Israel. He's all they can see. He's massive. And he causes them anxiety and fear. I mean, just look at this description. I don't even know what greaves are. But they sound good. And they sound powerful. You can, you know, perhaps ask for Christmas for some bronze greaves for my mum and dad. 
Because it sounds strong. He's, he's awesome. And Israel at that time were not full of joy. Life was not joyful because they lived in the shadow of Goliath. They lived with this burden pressing down on them. Until the burden is removed, they are always going to live under his shadow. Someone has got to defeat Goliath. Someone's got to remove the burden. What they need is a burden-shattering warrior. That's what they need. Okay, let's play the who should fight the giant game. Who is it who should step forward and fight the giant? Who is it who should lead God's people into battle? Who is it? Well, it's obvious. It should be the king. It should be Saul. Saul is the king and he should lead his people into battle. He should go to fight Goliath, but Saul is not stepping forward. How does Saul feel? He's terrified and dismayed. Verse 11. Now, when your king is running scared, you've got a problem. When you have a king who hides behind the sofa when things are bad, you're in trouble. Look, imagine you're in a sports team and your sports captain gathers you around. He says, listen, listen, we're going out into this uh, World Cup final. To be honest, I feel terrified and dismayed. They're much bigger than us and we've got no hope. That's no good, right? You need someone who's going to lead you. Or or supposing um, Theresa May tomorrow... (laughs) Dangerous, dangerous. Imagine if tomorrow Theresa May says... Listen, do you know what? To be honest, I'm terrified and dismayed about Brexit. I'm completely terrified and dismayed. I don't know what to do. I need to go home. Right? Imagine that. That's not what we need. It's probably how she's feeling. It's not how we need, right? We need... Israel needed a king who would give them confidence, a king who would stand up, a king who would be courageous, a king who would walk forward and who would fight the battle. That's what they needed. Terrified and dismayed, they are not words that inspire confidence. They're not the sort of qualities you're looking for in a hero. But let's just be careful with Saul for a second. This isn't just Saul being a coward. There's more going on here we need to see. Do you know, when Saul was first anointed as king, we're told that the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. God's Holy Spirit came upon Saul powerfully. He was a Spirit-anointed, empowered king. And we're told that he was to do whatever his hands found to do because God was with him. So he was a powerful king full of God's Holy Spirit. That's good. But Saul was a proud man, an arrogant man, a man who thought he knew better, a disobedient man. And in, if you just flick back to chapter 16, verse 14, we're told, Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul. The Spirit of the Lord has left him. Here is a king who's terrified and dismayed because he's a king without God. He is a spiritless king. And that is why Israel in trouble, are in trouble. 
The king is literally powerless to lift their burden because he doesn't have the power. He doesn't have the spirit of God. Now, it all looks hopeless. They are doomed to live in the shadow of Goliath until the next two words. Look at the next two words, verse 12. Now, David. You see? Suddenly we're shown the spirit-less king. We're shown the spirit who is, the, the king who is terrified and dismayed, the king who's running away. Ah, but now David. And here's what this chapter is all about. Because here is the king the people desperately need. Here is the one that the Lord has chosen and anointed. Here is the one that the spirit has now filled powerfully. Here is now the spirit-filled king. And in this chapter, the spirit-filled king meets the spirit-less king. And we see that David, David is the burden-shattering warrior that the people so desperately need. So let me read from verse 12. Let's see what happens when David, with, as we're introduced to David. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was very old. Jesse's three eldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The first was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Now Jesse said to his son David, the ephah of roasted grain, take these ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses to the commander of their units. See how your brothers are doing and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Early in the morning, David left the flock in the care of a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies and ran to the battle lines and asked his brothers how they were. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from the lines and shouted his usual defense, and David heard it. Whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Now the Israelites had been saying, Do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, This is what will be done for the man who kills him. When Eliab, David's eldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Now what have I done, said David? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter and the men answered him as before. When David said, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul and Saul sent for him. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go fight him. Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he has been a warrior from his youth. So here is David, right? David gets introduced Saul, the spirit-less king who's terrified and dismayed. Now David, here he comes. David, the spirit-filled king. 
But I want you to notice that in this story, the background music, the soundtrack to this story is what? It's mockery. Right? David, all the way through this story, is despised and mocked and ridiculed. It's pathetic. I mean, his father thinks that. David's not a soldier. He's an errand boy. Jesse's three eldest boys, they're soldiers. They've gone off to fight. But then there's brother four, five, six, seven. Then David. Do you see how far David is from being a soldier? David, you are so far from being a soldier. It's not even true. And so Saul, and so Jesse thinks very little of David and says, look, can you take this cheese to them? <laughs> you can be my errand boy. You can take the cheese. And so David goes to the line and uh, Goliath comes out and, and makes his great shout. But you see that David is horrified by what he hears. David hears the cry and he's like, why are you, ter- why are you all running away? What's wrong with you all? Do you see what's happening? But his brothers despise him. His eldest brother, we've just read it, his eldest brother is so rude to him. Oh, David. They despise him. Why have you come here? You're, you're nothing. Those few little sheep. Go look after the few little sheep, little boy peep. You know, it's that sort of thing, right? That is the soundtrack. The soundtrack is mockery, despising. The soundtrack is weakness. And eventually he meets Saul and he meets exactly the same thing. You can't fight him. David, you can't do it. It's very sweet that you want to have a go, but you can't. But look at David. He has this constant mantra of mockery, hatred and doubt. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't. You're too small, you're too weak, you're too pathetic. Goliath's too big. Look what David says, verse 34. This is astonishing. Listen to David. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. Because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hands of this Philistine. At first sight, it sounds like David's being pretty conceited. Hey, I can take it, I can take it. I can take him on. But actually, do you see, his vision is filled by God. He's rescued sheep. Do you know there's a whole bunch of sheep who think that David is their hero. Before Israel was dancing, the sheep were dancing. The sheep were in the field. Dancing, singing, he's David, he's David, he saved us, he saved us, he killed the lion. Thank little songs like that. And uh, they know it. He's the hero. He's the hero of the sheep because he, can sa- he saved them from the lion and the bear. And this is how it works. 
Here is a little Israelite. Okay, can you picture a little Israelite? They have to be little for this illustration to work. And all they can see is Goliath, the enormous giant. He fills their horizon. And the little, the little Israelite is like, I can't fight him. He's too big. He's too big. He fills everything. He, I can't see anything else. You see what David's doing? David's looking beyond Goliath and he can see that beyond Goliath, behind Goliath, stands an even bigger God. The great God, the Lord Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And David lifts his eyes not to Goliath but to the Lord and he says, the Lord will rescue me. David sees the Lord. And his confidence is in God. And Saul says, okay, well off you go then, verse uh, Verse 17, go and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him, a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over his tunic and tried walking around, but he was not used to them. I mean, it's comical, right? The king was supposed to be wearing this stuff into battle. It was his job. And he's dressing a little boy and saying, will you go and fight for me? It's pathetic. Saul is a pathetic king. David says, I cannot go in these because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream. He put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine with his shield bare in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw he was little more than a boy glowing with health and handsome and he despised him. You see, it's the soundtrack all the way through. Despising, mockery, you're tiny, you're pathetic, you're weak. He said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defeated. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. Can you imagine? You've got to imagine this scene. Little David, massive Goliath. Little David looking up. Saying, I come against you in the name of the Lord. And all his brothers, probably behind him going, Man, this is embarrassing. Verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sunk deep into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the sheath and he killed him. He cut off his head with the sword. When the Philistines saw their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Now they're dismayed and terrified, right? The men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn along the Sharon roads, Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp. David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. He put the Philistines' weapons in his own tent. 
As Saul watched David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, commander of the army, Abner, whose son is that young man? Abner replied, as surely as you live, your majesty, I don't know. Unknown, an unknown little boy. The king said, find out whose son this young man is. As soon as David returned from killing the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul. And David was still holding the Philistine's head. Whose son are you, young man? Saul asked him. David said, I'm the son of your servant, Jesse of Bethlehem. You have to see that Goliath, the shadow, the burden, that robbing Israel of joy has been removed, shattered, destroyed. David is the warrior king. It's a great story. And no wonder they sang for joy. No wonder they celebrated. No wonder they perhaps even tapped their feet and danced because their king won. Because they've now got a hero king who went into battle, who went down into the valley to meet the giant, to do battle, to defeat and shatter the enemy, to lift the burden, to destroy the shadow and to give them hope and life and joy again. Now turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to get faster now. That was the long bit, looking at the story. And now we can see it of... of a famous prophecy. Isaiah 9, it's on page 694. Okay, page 694, verse 2. Isaiah chapter 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. So, Isaiah is writing hundreds of years after David, but he's, the, the people are still living in a place of darkness, a place where a, a shadow is cast over them. You've enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you've shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bra across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Here's the language again. The shattering of the enemy, the burden, the removal of the shadow. And how does it happen? Jump down to verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. You know that name, Mighty God? Do you know what it literally means? The warrior. The warrior God. It's funny at Christmas, isn't it, when you get um, those newsletters from people. You know, they send you their family news. You haven't seen them for years and they send you news and they tell you how their little children are doing. You know, this year, little Freddie got a scholarship to Oxford. He's only seven and he's (laughs) magnificent. He also passed grade eight and he trained a dolphin to sing Pavarotti. (laughs) (laughs) And you're like, it's like all this stuff, right? It's nice to hear your news, but blah, blah, blah. Imagine you got a newsletter through a post. Today, it's beca- uh, over the past year, it's become clear that Freddie is mighty God. That's a big thing to say about a baby, right? Particularly when you realise that mighty 
God means warrior God. It means the God who fights the battles on behalf of his people. The God who goes into battle. The God who leads his people into battle. Just as David shattered the burden of Goliath that cast a shadow over Israel. So now a baby will be born who will be mighty God. Who will be the one who shatters the burden that cast a shadow over us. The one who fights our battles. The one who defeats our enemies. The baby born at Christmas is none other than mighty God. So when you get a Christmas card this year and it's got a nativity scene on it and it's got a little baby in a manger, I want you to get a big fat marker pen and I want you to draw a circle around the manger and I want you to write in massive letters, the mighty God and draw an arrow to the cradle to remind you that the baby in the manger is the warrior God of Isaiah 9, the one who's The government will be on his shoulders. He's the burden-shattering king. And in the same way that David walked out from the battle lines to face Goliath, Jesus, the baby born in Bethlehem, walked out to fight our battles. And that is where I want us to finish. I want you to go to Mark chapter 10, and I want you to see a famous face. The face of Jesus. Mark chapter 10, page 1015. And a verse that you could easily miss when you're reading the Bible. But I want you to read it knowing that Jesus is descended from David. Verse 32. Just look at verse 32. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Mark wants you to know that Jesus set his face to go to Jerusalem. Why? Well, because he took the twelve aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests, And the teachers of the law, they will condemn him to death, will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. Jesus is the king who steps out from the battle line, who sets his face. And he's leading the way. That's how I want you to picture Jesus this Christmas. The one who goes ahead. The one who leads the way with his eyes fixed on that moment when he's going to die on a cross. And as Jesus dies on the cross, he shatters the burden. He's the warrior king, the mighty God, who destroys the enemy. What does that mean today? We don't have enemies particularly today. What does it mean? Okay, here's a pile of enemies that Jesus destroys. And I want you to feel the weight of this. And I want you to celebrate. As I name these enemies, I want you to celebrate the fact that Jesus is the only one who can shatter these burdens. Some of these burdens will be burdens you feel very keenly. This Christmas, you need to know that we have a warrior who shatters our burden. We have a king who led the way, who went to a cross to die, to shatter these burdens. Jesus shatters the burden of sin. 
Do you not find sometimes that you want to live the right way, but it's so hard and sin casts a shadow over you. It's so hard and you, it just, it's always there. It fills your horizon. You don't know how to defeat it. It feels like an enemy that's against you. You have to know that Jesus came to shatter the burden of sin. When Jesus went to die on a cross, he took the punishment that sin deserves, but he broke the power of sin too. He is the warrior king who will fight your battle with sin. You do not have to fight sin on your own. You do not have to step forward. I know it's hard, and I know that you've tried many, many times, and I know that you feel like you're failing, but we have a warrior king who walks ahead of us, who leads the way, and who goes into battle on our behalf. Let Jesus be your warrior this Christmas. Let Jesus fight your battle with sin. Today, whatever that battle is, bring it to him and say, Jesus, be my warrior, and smash this enemy. That's how we fight. Jesus smashes the darkness of evil. He smashes the power of evil. There is an enemy who loves to do harm. There is an enemy who loves to, who loves to attack, who loves to do harm to us. But Jesus is stronger. Jesus is more powerful than your mental health struggles. The stuff that you struggle with, the darkness that often descends on you, the darkness that often fills your view, the darkness that feels like it's always overshadowing you. Jesus is the warrior king who shatters your burden. He went to a cross to do battle with the enemy, to do battle with all of our enemies. He went to a cross to die and he rose again in victory. Jesus is the warrior king who fights our battles that are too big for us. And often we stand here like this and there's this stuff, whether it's depression or anxiety or stuff that it feels too big for us. And our job today is lift your eyes above, above beyond. See the God who stands behind, who's above and stronger. Don't lose heart in the battle. Jesus fights your battles. Jesus fights our battles with death. As we feel the constant shadow of death hanging over this world of suffering and pain. And it fills our view sometimes and it feels like everything that we can think of. Jesus is the one who shatters the burden of death. He destroys death. This is good news. Death doesn't win. Death cannot win. Because Jesus breaks its power and shatters the burden. And when he died on a cross, it was as if death had won. But it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And Jesus rose again. There is no power that will defeat you because Jesus wins. We have to know that Jesus is the burden-shattering warrior. Now I get it. Those things feel dark and they feel big and they feel painful. But in the midst of that darkness, you have to know that Jesus wins. And one day, one day, every knee will bow before this king. Every knee. Death will bow the knee before King Jesus. All depression, anxiety, fear will bow the knee before King Jesus. Every doubt, every fear, every sin, every failure, everything will be brought under Jesus. 
he wins. We have a king who wins. He's better than David. Now, I don't mean to mishear me. The Bible teaches very clearly that we are not at the final victory yet. There is struggle to be done. It's still hard. But you go into battle knowing that Jesus wins. You go into battle not with your fingers crossed going, I really hope I'm going to be okay. You are going to be okay because Jesus wins. And Jesus steps forward and leads the way. Jesus is the one who defeats all of our enemies. So this Christmas, will we celebrate him? (laughs) Will we celebrate the burden-shattering king? What is the burden that you most feel right now? What is the burden that fills your vision? What is the thing that you can't see past? What is the thing that constantly casts its shadow over you, that just robs you of joy and spoils your life? What is that thing? I, I genuinely, don't. let's just not sit passively, right? God has brought you to church this afternoon because he's got something he wants to say to you. What is that thing that burdens you? Because Jesus says, I will fight that battle for you. It's my battle. The battle belongs to the Lord. I will win it. You have to trust me. That's where hope's to be found. That's where joy's to be found. That's where strength, even in tears, is to be found. So we're going to celebrate that this afternoon. We're going to celebrate that just as David walked out to fight Goliath, Jesus is the one who walks out to fight our battles. Jesus is our king, our warrior, the mighty God. Let's pray and then we're going to sing together. Heavenly Father, um, we praise you. We feel the shadow of all sorts of enemies. We, We feel the struggle. We feel the battle. We feel the reality of death and sin and darkness and evil and doubt. We feel these things very keenly. But we praise you because we have a warrior king who's not terrified. He's not dismayed. He's full of the spirit and he fights our battle for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have fought and you've won and that we get to share in your victory. And we pray this afternoon you help us to lift our eyes, to lift our eyes beyond the thing that fills our horizon to see you, our great, powerful king. We worship you. Amen.